Hello and welcome to Tell Me What's Good, episode 2. Your home for great recommendations on what to watch, binge, or play over the coming weeks. I'm James Clark, as always, and I'm here with my Buffon friend, Jeff Ball. Jeff, Hello. how's it going? I mean, uh, Buffon's very kind. I think I woke up like this is probably more accurate. Um, but, you know, lockdown locks and all that. That's fair. Everything good in Casa del Ball? It's pretty good. Had a good week. Uh, getting a little bit bored of sitting work, working at home. I kind of get it why dogs get really excited when the postman comes. Kind of been bouncing around at the window going, ooh, ooh, people. But uh, yeah, otherwise pretty good. What about you? Yeah, I'm currently buzzing off a Newcastle United daylight robbery effect on a Sunday afternoon. So pretty happy with everything in life right now. Can't, there's nothing nothing that could be better out there. Exactly. Uh, Jeff, I don't want to speak for both of us, but I'm sure I will. I thoroughly enjoyed uh, our efforts with podcast episode one. We've had some pretty canny feedback so far, and I really enjoyed the process, however nervous I was. What did you think of the whole thing? I really enjoyed it. I love the fact that some people have listened to it that we're not related to, um, and we would thoroughly encourage all of those people to share with their friends. Hint. Yeah, and that one guy in Texas, or gal in Texas, who tuned in, tell all of your friends. I hear that there's a fairly large population stuck at home over there right now. We, I mean, international podcasting was always an ambition of mine, but I didn't think it would happen in week two. <laughs> Hitting the dizzy heights, the dizzy heights of Texas. So, Jeff, tell me what's good. My first recommendation this week, James, is a brand new crime drama on ITV called Dez. It stars David Tennant as Dennis Nielsen. He's a serial killer who is caught in 1983 for, well, he, he took advantage of the the desperation and the homelessness crisis of the 80s to, quite frankly, kill a lot of people. Um, very compelling watch for two reasons. The first is, of course, David Tennant. He continues to be one of the best TV actors of the last 20 years, um, but there's no evil cackling. There's no challenging the police to catch him. He's incredibly calm, helpful, and basically quite normal, and that really makes it very watchful, but uh, him very chilling. Um, you also want to watch it because you, you start to realize what he actually did with his victims. Unfortunately, he didn't just kill them. Um, now, this did happen over 30 years ago, so I don't think it's too much of a spoiler uh, to say that this show is based on a biography about Nielsen called Killing for Company. Um, I also think it's why there's been no one named Des since 1983, so apart, from, <laughs> apart from Des Lynham, the mustachioed maestro of uh, Match of the Day. I can't really think of many. Des Walker. Uh, Des Walker. Uh, but again, I think it was pre-83. There's some statistical analysis to do here. But basically, Des, uh, as ITV is showing us, is why we don't know anyone called Des. Um, it's really watchable, though, because... You know, and I think when we watch these crime dramas, a lot of people want to see someone who's abnormal, want to see why they snapped, and you're just not going to get that with Des. There's, there's a, an incredible mundaneness to his life, to his work, uh, just to the way he drip feeds the information to the police when he's telling them about what he's done. He might as well be telling you that the shops ran out of Kit Kats. Um, it also stars Daniel Mays, who's uh, the police officer, Peter Jay. You'll recognize him from many police um, outings. Ashes to Ashes is the first place I saw him there. Uh, and really, we need him because in the face of this normality, if you will, he is the face of revulsion for the police, for the audience, um, just to, to react to 
what is a very troubling period, uh, not just for what he did, but certainly for the police because he, he operated for five years and he's they had not a clue. So uh, really interesting one there. Um, watch it if you love Tenant. Watch it if you don't. But I mean, Tenant for me is someone that um, everyone everyone should give time to. Um, he hasn't got the manic energy of a, of a Doctor Who or a, or a Kilgrave in, in Jessica Jones. Um, but really, it's that calmness that really makes it something that everyone should give up their time. And it's an easy watch as well. It's three one-hour episodes. And uh, yeah, that's streaming now on ITV. For me, my first recommendation this week is going a little bit back in time uh, to the Raid movies by Gareth Evans. So two of the most uh, vis- visceral action movies made in the last decade, made and set in Indonesia by Welsh director Gareth Evans, who more people might know um, now because of Gangs of London, which came out earlier this year. Um, as a button filmmaker, he found himself in Indonesia filming a documentary on a martial arts style called Penchak Silat. I hope I'm saying that right. I did do my research. Um <laughs> But that, that's a martial art that involves using the whole body to strike with, uh, whilst also using your environment as a weapon. This kind of gives us a clue as to the uh, the nature of the raid movies. Um, one of the martial artists that he was doing the documentary on, Iko Uves, um, was so captivating that Evans decided he'd make him the star of his films. So after their first film, Maranta, which I haven't seen, um, I believe it was a domestic success in Indonesia, Evans and Uves made their action movie epic, The Raid, Redemption in 2011. Uh, the basic premise is this. A SWAT team, including rookie Rama, played by Uwais, uh, storm a huge apartment block with the aim of bringing to justice drug lord Tama, who lives on the top floor. Tama gets wind of the SWAT team's arrival and goes on the block's PA system, telling the residents that they can live rent-free for the rest of their lives in the block if they capture and kill all the cops. Basically, Jeff, that's it for the storyline. The next hundred minutes or so is an all-out action fest. It's incredible. Uh, the film is a mixture of breathless fight sequences, all featuring Penchat Silat, uh, machetes, guns, and worse, and stretches of pure tension as Rama and his surviving colleagues try to escape the clutches of the hundreds of killers, thugs, and residents trying to kill them. It's breathless, exhausting, brutal. I'm totally here for it. I'm breaking out in a sweat just thinking about it. Uh, the fight sequences caught and captured by Evans and his team are truly remarkable, and Uwes is a natural action star in the mould of Donnie Yen, Tony Jaa, and so many others before it. Uh, the Raid 2, currently streaming on Netflix, was filmed in 2014 and follows almost straight on from the end of the original. Um, a little anecdote for you, Jeff. I've tried to watch The Raid 2 four times on Netflix over the last year or so, and every time I've put it on, it's got to two minutes in, and I thought, no, I just want to watch The Raid again. Um, and I've watched The Raid again each time. Um, anyway, I've learned that The Raid 2 is part financed by Evans himself, um, who's also the writer and editor for the films, um, but also his decision to sell the rights uh, to, the, uh, to the remake of the original to Hollywood. Um, which we're all still waiting for. Why you'd want a remake, the perfect action movie, I really don't know. Uh, I certainly doubt there are any other directors in the world at the minute who are as in tune with how to film captivating, brutal action as well as Evans is. Uh, the sequel is far grander on scale and carries an underground gangland plot well worthy of Hong Kong cinema of Andy Lau and Wong Kar Wai. Uh, a full hour longer than its predecessor, uh, The Raid 2 continues those same astonishing fight sequences but asks more from its actor's rage particularly Oasis, who really impresses with his grim determination throughout. The fight sequences are as jaw-dropping and probably more brutal, and henchmen wielding hammers, baseball bats, and carambit knives. Uh, And that final scene, there's a final fight scene, Jeff, that goes on for about eight minutes. It's probably the greatest eight-minute fight scene I've ever seen on TV or or film. Um, Whilst I think, personally, I prefer the relentlessness of the Raid uh, Redemption, the first film, there's certainly enough in both films to blow anyone away who loves action movies, might. Uh, and make you want to watch it all over again, as I've just said. It should be mentioned that both films are brutal, very gory, and not for the faint of heart. 
I certainly watched a few scenes through gritted teeth and behind my hands. Uh, whilst The Raid will set you back a couple of quid on Amazon to watch, uh, The Raid 2 is currently available on Netflix, and these are definitely two films that you definitely shouldn't miss. Should we have it before or after you've had your tea, though? Because the violence does get pretty extreme. Oh, man. Have your tea, have a couple of hours, turn the lights off, and buckle up. It's just <laughs> intense, man. Yeah, no, it's it's amazing. I think it's uh, the the, it, the fact that it put Gareth Evans top top of the tree when it came to stunt work within a film uh, really does just show just how good a stunt team he's got. Um, and obviously they've been able to do things like Gangs of London, which everyone has talked about. Which it's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty extreme violence as well. But if uh, if you're into that sort of thing, then yeah, these are these are very good suggestions. Yeah, there's um there's a gift doing the rounds of uh, the filming behind the scenes of the second raid movie that anybody should try and find on uh, online, where uh, the camera zooms in on a car during the middle of their car chase. It's the camera is actually physically passed into the passenger seat where a cameraman is sat dressed up as the passenger seat itself. He films a close up of the guy driving the car and then passes it out the rear driver's window to a guy who's lying parallel with the road, level with the back back wheel. I see films the car coming up next to it. It's honestly um, the the techniques being used by the director and his team are just uh, groundbreaking. And I can't wait to watch the next series of movies coming out. So my second recommendation is a new cartoon on Netflix uh, that is called Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous. Um, It's very rare for Netflix to actually promote a cartoon series like it has done in the build-up to this one. But when you do have um, the universe of Jurassic Park to play in, you can understand why. Um, They're clearly confident that it will draw in people who have enjoyed Jurassic Park and Jurassic World to come and have a look. Um, Basically, it is a kid's show. But it is a bit, there is a bit more to it than that. It's an eight-part series. It's set in the Jurassic World universe. It takes place around the events of the first Jurassic World film. So that's when we first meet uh, Chris Pratt's character um, on the island there. Um, there are, it's about six kids. They're in a kid's camp uh, on the other side of the island. They've been gathered. It's a bit like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. There's, they're all from different backgrounds and different ethnicities. There's a cool one, the nerdy one, the annoying one, and so on. Um, and I will admit, I started watching this because it's part of the Jurassic franchise, which I'm a big fan of. And I, was, I wasn't sure after the first three episodes. It felt like a little bit like a kid's show. Um, it was story of the week. The kids got into trouble. Um, and then it was all resolved after 25 minutes. Uh, and, but then it changes from the fourth episode. We actually start to see some character development. You know, we, we see the, the jeopardy increases. Um, this is a cartoon where someone will die or people will die, which I wasn't mm. expecting. Um, and, and things go start go wrong. I mean, it's, it's Jurassic World. They all follow the same model. If you remember Jeff Goldblum's quote in the first film, where he goes, ooh, yeah, ooh, ah, but that's how it always starts. And then later there's running and screaming. Well, spoilers, that's what happens here. Um, and I think that's probably why Jurassic movies struggle to keep their quality when you when we go through the sequels, because that's kind of what the best premise there. So it'll be interesting to see what they do next year and whether this cartoon starts to tie in with that one so i think it was it was good in that respect because it's in the universe of a first film which is also strongest in a jurassic trilogy um but it's not trying to tell the same story um to answer the most important questions people will be having should i watch this if i like jurassic park or world yes 
Should I let, therefore let my kids watch it? Yes, but be aware that it is a PG and ultimately about dinosaurs that do like eating people. Um, should I watch it if I've never watched Jurassic World, Jurassic Park? Probably not. Um, there is a, a little bit of familiarity in seeing some of the dinosaurs there. Who hasn't watched Jurassic World or Jurassic Park? There'll be people out there, James. They've been stuck on an island. Wow. Off the coast of Costa Rica. <laughs> struggling. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, it's not the worst way to spend your day. Um, but even if you've got kids, it's a good one for the kids to watch. And then if that gets them into the Jurassic franchise, then not a bad one there. So that is um, streaming now on Netflix. And like I say, it's only eight episodes long, so an easy watch. So my last recommendation for the week, uh, telling people what's good, is the TV show Dave. Uh, recommending Dave, available on BBC iPlayer currently, is certainly a big departure, not only from The Raid, but also from Jurassic World. Uh, released originally in May on BBC Two, Dave's an American comedy series that I assume is tongue-in-cheek, semi-autobiographical, telling the story of Dave, a mid-twenties white Jewish man who's co- convinced Jeff that he's the next big thing on the rap circuit, a bit like me for the last 10 years. Uh, <laughs> it tells the story of his attempted rise to prominence, uh, forever hindered by either his social obliviousness or repeated comments by his fans that he's an ironic rapper in the mold of the Lonely Island. Uh, nothing the matter with that. Uh, Dave's played by Dave Bird, whose stage name, Lil Dicky, is how he performs both on the show, but also in real life. Most of us in the mainstream uh, will know him best from his 2018 hit Freaky Friday with Chris Brown, but he's a huge star on YouTube. His back catalogue correlates to his name as he raps mainly about how impressive, unimpressive his package is. You get the gist. Uh, Dave the Show is funny in that awkward comedy sense that has made huge stars out of Ricky Gervais, Steve Coogan and more. For me, it's funniest moments are regularly when Dave doesn't realise how socially oblivious he actually is. And the commentary on a white man with his privileged black friend acting as his sound engineer as they try to make it into a black-dominated music genre really gets me good. The surrounding cast are funny and surprisingly well-developed for a 25-minute, 10-episode run. And I particularly find his girlfriend's frustrations with Dave's introverted home life and how it clashes with the graphic bars he records for his tracks hilarious. Similarly to my previous recommendations, Dave is not for the faint of heart. There are numerous penis jokes in every episode. The language is, of course, in keeping with a show based around the rap industry. And the third episode in particular shocked me to my very core with how surprisingly graphic it was. It is, however, really funny show if you stick with it and if you like that kind of thing, which I kind of do. So if you're interested, catch Dave on iPlayer now and let me know what you think. Yeah, I was going to say this, the, the kind of the rapping elephant in the room here, James, is I've known you for a long time. And I think you would love nothing more than to be best friends with uh, DMX. Um, oh. or, or these other rappers that I'll admit I, I don't really know. Um, I watched the first couple of episodes of this. I uh, I can see that it's going to be quite funny for the just juxtaposition. I like that we're in this uh, this kind of world of LA, uh, which isn't you know the Hollywood Hills of it. It, it reminds me a little bit of uh, early early La La Land, quite weirdly. Uh, just for, for where they go. Yeah, it is very weird. Um, it's about music that counts. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's a premise that. That, that that yeah it's that balance in between his home life and and the world he's trying to get into and what i really like is just he's got absolute confidence you know he says without irony i will be the biggest rapper in the world um and then when he does actually rap for the first time because you think he's just uh, messing it's like okay this guy has actually got something there so yeah in, interested to keep watching it yeah stick with it. it i think it just gets better although if you've watched the first couple brace yourself for episode three man that shocked me <laughs> 
So that's uh, that's our recommendations for the next couple of weeks. That's what's good, according to us. If you want to tell us what's good, uh, feel free to catch us on our email ad- address, uh, tellmewhatsgooduk at gmail.com, or on the social. Uh, at Twitter, we're at tellmewhatsg, and on Insta, we're at, at tellmewhatsgooduk, and we'd love to hear from you. Slide into our DMs, please. I would like to point out that James means the social media, not the socials. We're all not as cool as him. <laughs> So for my top three uh, this week, Jeff challenged me to name my top three TV shows that only have two seasons. And at first, Jeff, I found this a little bit of a struggle. I'm not going to lie. But then I sat down. uh, I thought about it. I did a bit of Googling just to refresh my memory. And my top three came to me fairly quickly. Uh, My number three this week is Twin Peaks. Uh, Twin Peaks will always hold a nostalgia value for me because of the memories I have watching it or being made to watch it, I really should say, by my dad, um, who I seem to remember held it in almost reverential level. Uh, I'm not sure if I ever really got it, but then I think it's okay because I don't think anybody was necessarily meant to really get Twin Peaks. Uh, It's certainly beautifully crafted by David Lynch. It looks and sounds amazing, and I love how Kyle MacLachlan's uh, Adrian Cooper arrives into Twin Peaks to investigate the death of Laura Palmer and acts almost as the audience's eyes for the whole of the psychedelic experience that follows. Uh, For me, I think Twin Peaks opened the door for much of the successful TV that was to follow it in the 90s, allowing for the crazy to be mixed with the procedural. Uh, see the X-Files, for an example, or to the lesser extent, shows like Lost that kept viewers guessing at every two. Just as significant, though, for me, uh, is the success of a big screen film director like Lynch, who had already directed A Razorhead, Elephant Man, Blue Velvet and June, to name but a few, before he created one of the most culturally significant TV shows of the early 90s. This idea of, uh, of a big screen talent working on TV was just a hint of what was to come decades uh, ahead of the current climate, where TV seems just as big, if not more so, than the film industry. What about you, Jeff? Uh, what's number three on your list? Well, I mean, I, I set you this task, James, because it's a bit of a pet peeve of mine that you get a, a TV show that maybe runs for too long. Um, I think most TV shows peak at season three or four, but then you get some that maybe go for 10 years and are just not quite as good. So, you know, The Walking Dead, we're looking the at you here. The Walking Dead, basically. Um, no, I think there's two categories. You either get shows that are excellent, but they don't get the ratings and the, the network cuts them, or there's been a, a, a conscious choice by the creator to cut it at that point um my number three it falls into the former camp though this is one that got um kiboshed by the network pretty quick and it's firefly which is uh, a two season run of space cowboys basically by joss whedon who had created buffy the vampire slayer uh, a few years before that and of course has gone on to direct things like avengers assemble and justice league um it's a really good show. It, there's some lots of good characters, great characters, and, and um, it really it, it's based around uh, Nathan Fillion, who is Mal in it. He's a war veteran, and it's really it's the very scrappy part of space. It's the things that happen in the background, and this was in 2002, so you're coming off the back of like the Next Generation and the other Star Trek films, which are the the shiny posh ones. This is what's happening in the bit that they don't show you. Um, what really makes it essential and something that there's still a lot of fans uh, for and also it had its own film a number of years later because the the fan noise didn't go away is the the core ensemble and Whedon is very much their master at ensemble work that's why they got him to do Avengers um, and that's what makes this work here I mean yeah of course there's some effects there that's what happens when you come off doing something like Buffy um, but ultimately it's about the people there and I think it's a shame that there has been some pushback on Whedon of late you know he did the not the Snyder cut of Justice League and and there's some stuff there Um, but 
really the work that he did on this, uh, and much like he did on likes of, of Buffy and Dollhouse and Angel, was almost the first time where we actually saw that an ensemble could work. We can have strong female and male characters, and we don't need to have a monster of the week, which was basically the next generation for a long time. It was the, the ability to have a long, overarching stories that, draw you in and it's just a shame that it was cut short after only two years um i think it's really telling actually you mentioned lost there lost came out a year after this um and they were the first ones that really threw movie money at the tv screen but again they followed the format of having an ensemble and having this big overarching story there so my yeah my number three is firefly I knew Firefly would be in your list, Jeff. I've listened. I've spent about sixteen years listening to you talk about how good it is without ever actually watching it. But I know I've got to at some point. It's got to um, be that. Yeah, it does. Yeah. So my number two on the list, um, I think, is the first thing that jumps to everybody's mind when they think of a two-season run, and it's Forty Towers, um, an absolute classic. I'm sure you'll agree. Forty Towers is my choice for second place because of its lasting ability to make people laugh nearly half a century on from being made. For me, it ranks as one of the best comedy series of all time, despite the fact that only 12 episodes were made because of its sheer quotability and moment after moment that have stood the test of time almost. Uh, for me, whether it's the Germans at the end of season one, don't mention the war chef, um, Manuel dealing with the Irish builders, or Basil destroying his car, uh, we all picture most of these moments instantly. I love that it was written by Cleese and his wife at the time, Connie Booth, uh, as you can see the genuine enjoyment on Booth's face throughout the first season as she plays Polly the maid. However, they had divorced before season two was filmed. I think it's a shame that some of the jokes in Forty Towers have clearly aged badly and would certainly be unacceptable in a series film now, despite the fact that the major was always satirised throughout for his racist tendencies. Whilst I'm not a big fan uh, of this idea of re-editing shows to cut out inappropriate comments, I think the finished article is a product of its time, not a working project almost. Uh, I can understand why we may begin to see less of Forty Towers on our screen. For me, however, the vast majority of its humour has stood the test of time, and that's why, for me, it's number two on my list. So this is interesting, James, because Forty Towers is number two on my list, too. No way! Yeah, um, I mean, much for the same reasons. A big fan of John Cleese, and, and you're right, the writing's tremendous, and some of the set plays. Um, I, there's, there's a great build-up through every episode, normally to something that's absolutely ridiculous, whether it is, like you say, Basil beating his car with a branch or the hotel's on fire, but he's trying to cover up for it. Um, I, I, for me, I think Basil Fawlty is, is up there with Del Boy in terms of these famous characters of British comedy. Um, I think it's it's really allowed British comedy to, to rise to the standing it has got globally. Um, you know, John Cleese in particular was part of Monty Python's Flying Circus, who managed to get the BBC to shake off the shackles of being very straight-laced and just be a bit silly and irreverent. And uh, yeah, the 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 manicness of Faulty Towers has has became a is a benchmark, I think, for what came in as you say about almost half a century since it was made. Um, and there, there was a bit about the yeah some of the language is a bit questionable in 2020 um, and I understand why people may hesitate to put it on I think that's the sort of thing though we need to we need to kind of almost just have something at the start of an episode and say look there's going to be stuff in this just be aware as opposed to just hiding away because you know that's how as you say it's part of part of what the time was uh, back then so yeah no um, what excellent taste you have my friend cheers back at you um <laughs> So I guess, having skipped your number two, we're on to my number one. Um, and for me, uh, I've gone for Money Heist. 
So Money Heist was certainly a lockdown hit across the world this year, uh, in the same way as Tiger King was, I guess. And in 2020, it became Netflix's most viewed non-English language show of all time. It tells the story of a group of pre- petty criminals and misfits hidden behind masks of Salvador Dali as they rob the royal mint estate. Now, Jeff, I've kind of cheated here, as Money Heist is set over two seasons, but each yes. is split into two parts, uh, with 32 in total. So when you look on Netflix, it says there's four seasons, but there are actually two. Um See, I'm not sure. We'll ha- we're we're going to have to go to a committee. We might have to uh, to censor this one because I, I would say that was four seasons, James. But carry on, carry on. It's it's really not. Um, but feel free to <laughs> feel free to get in touch with us if you agree with Jeff um, or me. Yes. So- S- subject line: Jeff is right at tell me what's good uk at gmail dot com. So for me, uh, moving on, for me, whilst the, uh, the acting of the main characters, and I'm looking at you, Tokyo and Rio, um, became great in after the first few episodes, uh, I couldn't stop watching it and would regularly go through three or four a night. It has that just one more quality that all the best Netflix and other streaming uh, services shows have at the minute. Similarly to Prison Break or Lost, uh, I think Money Heist appeals because of the how are they going to get out of this nature of the series, and that, coupled with the intricacies of the plan, were what got me hooked. Uh, the two leads, Alvaro Morte is the professor, uh, who's the brains of the operation, and Itzia Itunio, I'm sorry if I've said that wrong, but Spanish is really hard, um, as the police inspector, Raquel Murillo, are magnetic, and I would watch them in anything together. Uh, as with any ensemble cast, everyone has their favourites. Denver is mine. Uh, I've got to explain for anybody who hasn't seen it, all the all the, the robbers are named after famous cities across the world. Um, he's not actually called Denver, that would be a cool name. Um Whilst the dubbed version does nothing for how annoying Denver's laugh actually is, uh, he's the lovable rogue of the piece and should be everyone's favourite, in my opinion. For me, it also gave one of the most memorable end sequences to a series I've ever watched. Uh, not a climax, but two of the characters singing the European uh, historical European song of rebellion, Bella Chow, to close out the first part of the show, so halfway through season one, Jeff, uh, is so memorable for me. So for sheer magnetism alone and the desire to keep watching despite it being 2am, Money Heist wins it for me. I don't know as yet if they're making a third season, but if they do, I'm all in. So when you say at the halfway through season one, you mean at the end of season one? No, halfway. Okay, okay. Beg to differ. Cool. Um, Yeah, great show. Um, One that a lot of people were talking about there, uh, especially the fourth season. Um, My number one is a... I'm sticking with British comedies. Um, Though, well, it's a a, a disservice to call it a comedy. But my number one is Fleabag. Uh, So this was commissioned by BBC Three. It's on the iPlayer iPlayer right now. Created by and starring Phoebe Waller-Bridge, about a 30-something sex addict trying to find her way in life uh, she is kind of losing losing the, the way a little bit her cafe is not doing very well her sister loves her but you can tell that she thinks that she should be doing better and her dad has moved uh, on to a new relationship uh, given that her mum passed away and her stepmom is an artist darling played by olivia coleman who might possibly be the most evil character on tv um but not to your face um i was quite late to fleabag um I'd heard good things about Killing Eve, which she's written. Um, what made me go and look at it was that was both the noise that was around it, but the fact that the Bond production asked her to come and beef up the the script for um, No Time to Die, and that's a big thing because Bond productions are notoriously controlled. So uh, if they're asking someone like her to come and make it better, then, you know, there must be something in her writing. And I'm really delighted that I did. Um, It's a show that 
the style of it is excellent. It's filmed in in a way that makes the viewer a part of the show, which is great. Um, the first season is spectacularly good, but it's the second season, which I honestly think is some of the best TV I've seen for a very long time. Um, what they do, they add Andrew Scott into the mix. Some of some will recognise that name for us, Moriarty from Sherlock. In this, he's the hot priest, and against Fleabag, who is his his. Um, you know that is, they never actually give her name; they just call her Fleabag throughout. But if you've got a sex addict and a hot priest, you can imagine that there's clearly going to be something there. Um, and it's just—it's absolutely phenomenal. The writing, the comedy, the editing, the way that they take you on a journey with it, and then when they end it—I'm not going to spoil anything—but it would be insulting to have even try to extend it from there it was absolute perfection in two seasons so for me i think full credit to Waller bridge for ending it then admittedly now she's probably too busy to make another one but at the time she just said no that's good enough and she's walked away despite um thousands of people crying out on twitter for another one so yeah my number one um only 12 episodes as well so a very easy watch is fleabag they're not renewing for a third season? I can't get out of this on a technicality at all here, Jeff? Absolutely not. She's said, I'm not doing any more. And if you if 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 you watch it, you would just... It would it would cheapen the story. It doesn't mean that, uh, you know, you know, maybe you're not going to get the outcome that you want through, through some of the story. Um, some of it is incredibly satisfying as well, but there's just nothing that you can do to improve upon it for me. Absolutely fantastic TV. It's a, it's a good choice, Jeff, and a good list. Very strong list. Thank you. So that was our My Top 3, uh, and I thoroughly enjoyed doing it in the end. Uh, if you've got a suggestion for our next My Top 3, please feel free to email us at tellmewhatsgooduk at gmail.com because I have a feeling that Jeff's suggestions are going to become more and more obscure by the minute, Jeff. Okay, so moving on to uh, the big news of the last couple of weeks. Jeff, what's popped up for you that's really got you going? Well, I uh, the the WandaVision trailer, the new Marvel TV show, the first TV show that we're going to get is coming still. Uh, very pleased to hear that uh, coming in December on Disney Plus. Um, it it comes tinged though, James, with the news that uh, I don't really want to dwell on it, but apparently Marvel, the studio, has decided to push all its films back um, into 2021 because of the situation. So we're going to have a year without Marvel films, sad face, but we do have some solace with these Marvel TV shows. And this one's a really interesting one to start with. Uh, it's WandaVision is, of course, about Scarlet Witch, i.e. Wanda, and Vision from the Avengers movies. Um, if you've watched these Avengers movies, as I think a couple of people have, you'll know that there's, there is a reason why they shouldn't really be able to make this TV show. So you already go into it curious. Um, the trailer was very confusing. They seem to start in, in a TV sitcom of, of the 1950s America and then bounce all the way through to uh, 60s, 70s and 80s. Um, and I think what this is probably going to be is it's, it's going to be quite a nuanced show. I think it's going to be us starting to get ready for the multiverse. That is the next Doctor Strange film, which is obviously a couple of years away. Um, there's also rumors of a few quite significant Marvel characters appearing at not Thor level, but certainly people that you would recognize from the likes of Thor or Ant-Man and these kind of films. So I think it's going to be a bit of a, a, a jumping off spot um for the next generation of avengers movies but for now it's just great to see some new marvel content on the way yeah i think it's been 18 months i think since the last mcu content that we any of us have got to enjoy so uh 
I'm certainly looking forward to it, however confused I was by the trailer. Very confused, very confused. Had to watch it a couple of times. But, yeah, I think that's probably going to be the, the, the tone of it. Yeah, for me, I think it's interesting that um, I think originally, Jeff, uh, WandaVision was slated to be released not only after Black Widow, the movie, but also after Falcon and Winter Soldier, the TV series, was released. Hmm. So I wonder whether they had to reshoot anything for that or whether uh, everything will tie together, whether there'll be any inconsistencies that kind of confuse me as much as the trailer. But I'm certainly looking forward to some Marvel content. Yeah, it's a, I think it's a balancing act. Marvel know that we're going to come back to them. Um, I think, you know, Tenet's done okay giving but it you know it's not going to hit the billion pound which it probably should have and if you're marvel you you kind of want a billion for these things now that's almost the benchmark so disney plus has very much became a lifeline uh, for the whole disney corporation yeah so the first thing that um that jumped out for me over the last couple of weeks uh, was the results of the emmy awards uh, from about a week ago now um mm. so really there were three big winners i don't know whether you saw but there were three big winners to come out of this year's emmys or as they're calling it the pandemies which is a pun that i very nice very love. nice yeah big fan of that <laughs> so the first of the three highly su- successful shows at this year's emmys um that have all incidentally been on my watch list for quite some time Shits Creek won all the major awards in the comedy category, including all four acting nominations for the first time in the Emmys history, as well as outstanding directing and writing. Um, it's the story of a wealthy family forced to live in a motel of a small town after losing their fortune, and it's available to watch in the UK on Netflix at the moment. Um, the second, Succession, had a similar effect upon the drama categories, winning writing, directing and best overall drama series, as well as best actor in the drama series for its lead, Jeremy Strong. Uh, it tells us the tale of a dysfunctional family at the head of a global media network, all battling for control over the company as the health of the patriarch, played by Brian Cox, begins to wane. Um, Successions currently had two seasons, but I think they're making more, which is why I didn't make my top it's three. On the list. It's, uh, it's not on the list. Um, and it was, it was made by HBO, but they're available on Sky Atlantic for anybody to dip into at the minute. Um, also available on Sky is last year's series of Watchmen, uh, a further adaptation of Alan Moore's DC Comics graphic novel series based around a group of mass vigilantes treated like outlaws in an alternate history. Uh, The show, totally separate from 2009's pretty decent movie, um, drawing from the same source material, is created by Damon Lindelof, who of course gave us Lost for the third time this episode, Um, which we are eternally grateful for, of course, Damon. Most incredibly, however, is that one of the 11 Emmys won by Watchmen was the Lead Actress Award for Regina King. This now means that in the last five years, uh, Kings won four Emmys for American Crime, twice, Seven Seconds and Now Watchmen, and an Oscar and a Go- Golden Globe for If Beale Street Could Talk. What an incredible run of form that is. Um, it's definitely my intention to get a couple of these at least watched before Christmas, so hopefully they might appear in a bit more detail in coming episodes. Yeah, there's some great shows. I mean, um, I have watched some of Watchmen. I haven't quite finished it. Um, the fact that they've they've said we're just doing the one season and we'll, and that's it makes it okay that that draws my attention to it more um yeah i've always felt a little bit cheated by the watchman movie uh from from many years ago uh compared to the comics it's just nowhere near um and also with the, the other ones there Shit's creek i mean that's had six seasons without really winning anything and then all of a sudden it's winning everything so yeah uh, I don't know whether it's it's having a bit of a Lord of the Rings Return of the King kind of effect of being get, getting all its awards, you know, mm-hmm. for as a reflection of its entire run rather than the most recent one. Anything else crop up for you over the last couple of weeks, Jeff? Yeah, I mean, I'm uh, I'm not really showing a great diversity in of interest here. Uh, it's another Disney Plus 
piece of work it is Onward, which is the latest F, uh, film from Pixar. Uh, that is coming to Disney Plus on the 2nd of October. And this is one that I've been looking forward to for a while. Um, I tried to get to the cinema, but there was a pesky lockdown back in March. The buses have been teasing me ever since, advertising coming soon uh, for the last six months. So really pleased to see that one. Um, it stars, well, it's Chris Pratt and Tom Holland, both who were, were big fans of, and there's another mention of Chris Pratt on the show. Um, and yeah, Pixar's just absolutely up there when it comes to animation. Um, so it's about two young guys who live in a magical land where the unicorns are basically raccoons who find a magic staff to bring their dad back. And things don't work out, and they've got 24 hours to make it right. So it's going to be a great one for the family. Um, but Pixar's always great for all the family, not just the kids. Yeah, we could definitely do a My Top 3 on our favourite uh, Pixar characters or films because the, their catalogue is just second to none, I think, in the last 20 years or so. Uh, for me, my last my last thing that's cropped up that I'm definitely going to watch over the next couple of weeks, uh, and many of our listeners may already be aware of, is Enola Holmes on Netflix. Um, it's been heavily advertised by Netflix as one of their major releases in the autumn season. Um, what some people might not know is it's based on young adult series written by Nancy Springer. Uh, it's a bit of a passion project for its lead actor, actor Millie Bobby Brown, who we know best as Eleven from the fantastic Stranger Things. Um, she was such a fan of the books that I believe she campaigned for them to be made into a film, eventually picked up by Legendary picture, Pictures with the distribution rights uh, in COVID times being picked up by Netflix rather than it being sent to cinemas. Uh, I don't want to go into too much detail about it, Jeff, as I'm really looking forward to watching it sooner rather than later. So hopefully I'll be recommending it in more detail in the next episode or so. In short, uh, Brown plays Enola Holmes, Sherlock's younger sister, who, needless to say, embarks on a quest to find her disappeared mother, using a similar set of skills that we usually associate with her brothers. Sherlock, played by Henry Cavill, and Mycroft, played by Sam Claflin, uh, appear to play supporting roles in the film and look to be having a great time doing so. It looks like an interesting piece, and I'm a fan of breaking the fourth wall when used sparingly and appropriately. And from the trailers, this looks to be a good time film with laughs, thrills and spills. It has an awesome supporting cast, so I'm looking forward to giving that a go. I mean, yeah, as, as supporting cast go, that's pretty strong. Um, yeah, ch- chucking Helen, Helen and Bottom Carter as well, and it's looking good. Yeah, no, uh, it's interesting. I think there's a, we've had a lot of Sherlock over the last few years, so it's good to see kind of staying in that in that world, but not just another copy-paste Sherlock film. So I guess that's kind of it. Um, remember, don't hesitate to get in touch with us on our socials. They are at Tell Me What's G on Twitter or at Tell Me What's Good UK on Instagram. And remember to email us with your my top three suggestions or anything else that you've watched that we might have talked about or not at tell me what's good UK at gmail.com. So from you, Jeff Ball. Goodbye. And from me, James Clark, it's <laughs> goodbye. Good luck. It's been an absolute pleasure.